In a world of negative real interest rates, ballooning government deficits, and where shares in high-quality growth companies are expensive, being an investor is incredibly hard. How do you allocate capital between asset classes to get the right trade-off between risk and reward? I'm James Norrington from Investors Chronicle, and while we can't provide all the answers to the asset allocation conundrum, we can glean insights into what's doing best from high-quality data. Today, I'm joined by Graham Harrison, Managing Director of Asset Risk Consultants, ARC, who, through their private client indices, provide dynamic risk benchmarks for asset managers. With 250,000 portfolios from 108 major asset management firms worldwide, he has a unique perspective on where investors are successfully meeting today's unique challenges. Uh, welcome, Graham, and thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Maybe good if you could explain briefly a bit more about um, first the, the the risk brackets that, that you divide the the private client uh, indices into, and a bit about the multi-factor system that you use to make the estimates behind these positive estimates you have. Yeah, no problem, James. So the ARC private client indices are actually uh, available for free for anybody who's interested from our website suggestus.com, and everything that I'm about to say you should be able to get from there as well to explain exactly how we do it. Somewhat arbitrarily, we have divided the multi-asset class discretionary investment manager world into four risk buckets. Uh, We call these buckets cautious, balanced asset, steady growth and equity risk. So if you have a portfolio, for example, with, say, 50% in equities, that would fall into our balanced asset uh, category. Uh, If it had more like 70%, in equities, that would be what we call steady growth. The majority of portfolios that, that we're looking at are in those two uh, categories. And uh, the task that we've uh, sort of set ourselves is to try and work out what private clients with discretionary portfolio managers are actually getting. What are the real performance numbers that they're seeing? So, so if you as a, a private investor uh, get your valuation and you're trying to see how you've done in the year, what would you expect to see? And uh, to, uh, to to actually calculate the indices uh, in final form, what we do is we, we get the monthly uh, performance data from, uh, as you said, uh, over 100 managers now. Uh, it's a crazy number of portfolios that we're trying to, to bring together in this these days, more than a quarter of a million uh, portfolios. And we, we put each of those portfolios into one of those four risk categories, and then we work out what we think the average uh, result is. Now, that's fine looking backwards, but of course, uh, we don't do that cycle every day. And so we've created a, a, a way of calculating estimates. Those estimates are updated every day. And the way we've done that is essentially we've looked at the performance of For example, the the steady growth uh, private client index in sterling terms, we look at the performance of that going back over uh, three years. And then we take uh, around 15 exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and we try to mimic the behavior of the PCI, uh, the behavior of the average uh, discretionary portfolio using those ETFs. And we end up with... Uh, percentage uh, allocations to each of those. And then rolling forward, we use that as the model to to calculate uh, the estimates or how, how we think people are actually performing. So I wondered um, if you could discuss you know, what you've noticed in terms of risk positioning of portfolios 
um, and to discuss a bit more about um, what you described as an education gap among end investors. Yeah. So uh, if we if we sort of think over almost multiple uh, decades, we've had this incredible change in the sort of inflation plus return that's available from a mix of assets. So if, so if we if we go back to the uh, mid 80s through to the the mid 90s, it was possible to have a real return of inflation plus three percent, literally just by buying 10 year gilts. And so essentially, you didn't really have to take any risk to get uh, an inflation plus three type return. We then go into sort of the next uh, the next sort of phase, which uh, we could think of maybe as the sort of 2000s. And we see the uh, the, the real return from gilts falling from 3% down to basically zero at, at, during the global financial crisis. And during that phase, to get a return of inflation plus three, uh, investors really had to start embracing uh, risk assets and in particular embracing equities. And, and then we come forward to the, the last 10 years and we've really had negative real yields from government bonds. Uh, becoming increasingly negative. And, and, and in fact, in, in March, the nominal yield on the 10-year gilt nearly, nearly, nearly broke through zero into negative territory. And, and maybe looking forward to the next 10 years, we actually have a period where the, um, the, the absolute return from, from gilts is, is negative. And indeed, it is in, in, in Europe, for example. Japan, it has been for a very long time. And so, as the, with this change going on, the expected return from a balance uh, from a, from a, a mixture of assets being held in a typical, you know, balanced asset type portfolio, for example, uh, where they've got fifty percent in bonds, fifty percent in equities, say, uh, that expected return must be falling because the return that's available from uh, the, the the assets that are not taking risk is coming down all the time. Um, and indeed, uh, thinking about where we are. Uh, where we are today, we probably, uh, if you're trying to get this inflation plus 3% return, which was available with just gilts back in the 90s, now you probably need to have 75% invested in equities. The change that therefore we have been expecting to see as we looked at all our data and and we sort of watch it over time and we look back and think about what's been going on is is we would have expected to see the uh, average uh, risk profile of a discretionary uh, portfolio increase because the target return of that portfolio um, isn't going to be met uh, as these uh, as these changes uh, in, in the respective returns of equities and bonds uh, move. We haven't actually seen that happen at all. Uh, in fact, the the risk profile of uh, discretionary portfolios now is very much the same as it was 15 years ago, um, pre-global financial crisis. And that, that sort of caused us to ask, ask ourselves, you know, why would, it, why would that be the case? Either uh, private clients have reduced their real return expectations, i.e. they're not really aiming for whatever they were before, say inflation plus three, they're perfectly happy with inflation plus two or, or even inflation plus one. Or private clients haven't yet realized that their discretionary portfolios aren't going to deliver against those historic real return expectations. And this, and this is the potential education gap that exists with investors. And we think it's going to be a real challenge for uh, advisors, for, for IFAs, and indeed for discretionary managers to 
explain to private clients that they do have this choice. They can increase the risk profile of their portfolios and maintain perhaps their real return expectations, or they're going to have to reduce their real return uh, expectations. And that, of course, could be potentially quite painful, given that for many private clients, they are uh, they're looking to uh, live off uh, the returns from their portfolios. If negative real rates are here to stay, how, how should investors approach the, the trade-off then between, um, you know, you've got uh, a guaranteed risk of, of holding cash, if you like, because um, it's just going to carry on, uh, you're losing money over time, and, and, and always in a negative rate scenario, you're, you're paying to store it, and, and, then, and the trade-off between the sharper but, but the more potentially rewarded risks on offer from other assets as you move along the spectrum towards more equity risk. And, as part of that education challenge surely has to be um, sort of explaining to people that there's a, there's a guaranteed loss um, or there's a, there's a potential drawdown, which is only really a loss if you crystallize it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it, 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 the, of course, this is exactly what financial repression is supposed to do. It is supposed to encourage uh, the movement of assets from um, sitting in a bank doing nothing to uh, being invested in the productive economy. And there's no doubt that if negative real rates, and indeed in, for many investors, negative or zero uh, absolute rates as well, uh, continue, people will think, well, I really ought to do something with my money, and end, it'll end up getting invested into the productive economy. I think that uh, there, there are probably three things I'd say here. Number one is that I suspect that there will be far fewer discretionary portfolios with where the majority of the assets are not invested in equities. Um, I just think that, that the idea of having portfolios which are predominantly invested in bonds is going to become a lot less attractive for, uh, for people over time. The second thing is that uh, people are going to come along offering snake oil or silver bullets. And we all know that really these things, th- these things don't work. They don't exist. And chasing after a return is always going to have some risk. And if you don't understand what those risks are, it's because you haven't understood what the risks are. Uh, it is not that they are risk-free. Um, and I think I think the other thing, uh, the, the third thing that's going to happen is that this very idea of, of suitability and the way that we go about thinking what is an appropriate portfolio for an individual may well have to change because um, at the moment, it's very much led by uh, what risk or what volatility of, um, of value, if you like, over time, can you as an investor tolerate rather than it being driven by a, well, what return do you need and what risk does that imply? And at the moment, I, I think probably it's slightly too much in the, um, in the camp of, well, how comfy do you feel with this type of volatility rather than, the, you know, you've got to accept this type of volatility if that's the sort of return that you want. So I think we'll have a, a again, that's a kind of educational point, um, and it may, may just require uh, discretionary fund managers and IFAs to think think a little bit about the way that they're presenting the options, uh, the choices that, that, that investors have. To wrap up then, then Graham, um, investors are, are going to have to get used to the idea of really managing risk in their portfolios better. If we say, just from, from your um, private client indices, if you have a balanced portfolio, which I think is 50%, getting 50% equity risk by your definition, 
or a steady growth which is up to 70%. Um, what sort of uh, peak to trough drawdown in portfolio value should an investor be prepared to stomach um, or the worst performance over a 12-month period for either of those portfolio strategies an investor should be planning on having to ride out at some point? This is the crux of it because if you don't ride out and you crystallize during the loss, that is the only time when risk becomes real. You know, otherwise it is just mark-to-market losses. So an investor does need to be prepared for these things. If we just take the, the falls that we had at the beginning of this year, they were the sharpest falls since the crash in, in 87, you know, Black, Black Monday. But they were also the fastest recovery. In terms of how much you might lose with a, with a mixed asset portfolio invested with maybe 70% of world equity risk, then I think that you really need to, in your mind, be able to stomach, survive, live with, not panic, with, with a 20% fall. And so that's quite a substantial uh, markdown. Now, it could be a lot worse than that, because essentially, if equity markets go down, for example, 30%, you will end up probably going down about 20%. If equity markets go down 50%, which clearly they, it is possible, uh, you may well find with this steady growth portfolio that you're down 30% or more. And so it's trying to not worry overly about the day-to-day moves and to think more about, well, what, what, how long am I going to have to sit with this loss before it comes back? And that's where this latest market correction probably is, is, is going to lull some people into a false sense of security. We, at the start of this uh, drawdown, um, or you know, at the, at the, at the, when we were at the bottom, at the nadir, uh, we were saying to, a, to our clients, you know what, this could be a thousand-day drawdown. It could take a thousand days to get back. And that's based on experiences that we've seen in other, during other, um, other bear markets. You know, we can go back, for example, to the early 2000s or indeed to the global financial crisis and see that, that recovering to your previous peak can take a very long time. In actual fact, this time, it's barely a hundred day drawdown. So it's been a remarkably uh, quick, quick recovery. What, what I think people are going to need to think about is they need to plan ahead make sure that if they're going to need to be drawing money out of a portfolio over the next year, two years, three years, that they're able to pull out that money without overly disrupting the portfolio. And if they can do that, then they can afford to take the extra risk. If if they haven't done that, then they do run the risk of needing to crystallize losses at the worst time, which of course is the, 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 the simplest and most sure way of destroying capital. So really, it's, it's that, the holy trinity then of financial planning, portfolio management and asset allocation. So thank you very much, Graham Harrison, uh, for your insights today. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. And you can find out more um, about ARC on the Suggestus website, suggestus.com. Thank you very much for your time today, Graham. Um, and uh, speak to you again soon, I'm sure. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks, James. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.